1: This is the Rise Up Sea red podcast, all about the Arizona Cardinals and the NFL, featuring insider and outsider perspectives. Enjoy the best hour of Cardinals talk on the web. Now here are your hosts, Jess Root and Seth Cox.
0: Hello, Arizona Cardinals fans, and welcome to the latest edition of the Rise Up Sea red podcast. I'm your host, Jess Root, from CardsWire.com, the USA Today NFL Wire site, with my host, uh, co-host Seth Cox from RevengeoftheBirds.com, SB Nation's Arizona Cardinal site, and one of the hosts of the original Draft Breakdown podcast. We are here at episode 451, coming off of the Cardinals' preseason victory on Friday night, um, and you know, as c- kind of gross as that game kind of started, wow, it's that was a little bit fun by the end, wasn't it?
1: Yeah and uh, I I honestly the beginning was fun when the first team defense was out there and looked competent against the Broncos mainly first team offense and, and not all the starters were you know out there but a good chunk of them were when we saw we saw what this defense could potentially look like and and then even the second unit did a really nice job till you know close to the end of the of the second quarter and so it's just it's fun to see that yeah i mean the offense left you wanting early in the game and that's to be expected as you as you unveil a new offensive scheme without basically your three best offensive weapons on the field and and kyler murray james connor and, and hollywood brown all not playing but we did see some flashes at the same time which is really nice right
0: yeah, it was, and, and let, let's kind of talk about that. Let's—we're going to talk about um, who and what stood out in the against the Broncos. Uh, we'll delve into—I mean, it was just a preseason win, but how important that actually was in my—we'll uh, talk about that. And then there, there's a there's a kind of a bunch of little things. Zach Gertz is off PUP. Uh, where's Kyler Murray at? Um, what we could take away from the playing time? A couple of roster moves. But let's get started with that. Who and what stood out for the first of the Broncos? Now, the Cardinals, you know, they won the toss and they started on offense. And there was nothing special about their drive except, you know, it was nine plays, 28 yards, but they picked up two third downs. Um, and so basically they got just past midfield and then punted the ball. Now, granted, the, the punt went to the end zone. Um, but, you know, it, even if you don't get a score, just the the thing that we've seen from the Cardinals – in in the last couple of years it was sort of feast or famine right so they were either they were either getting into scoring position or they'd end up with a three and out and and i was honestly one of my biggest observations is is after the 4 years of the air raid offensive scheme now that wasn't just true air raid, but it, the kind of the offensive principles that what we saw um especially with the starting offense were very traditional <laughs> offensive concepts um and it was simple colt mccoy was efficient mm-hmm. they moved the ball a little bit they didn't make big plays but this this is i think this is at least initially and i got a glimpse i think it gave us a little bit of a glimpse of the the pre kyler offense until he gets back that this will be an offense that survives there it's not going to be city things but i think it will be, it will be adequate enough not to that, that, that the potential like the ceiling that we're gonna see from the offense is just not terrible, right? And and, and at least will be functional and to be able to move the ball a little bit, you might not score a lot of points. But if the defense is, is scrappy, maybe they're not gonna be terrible.
1: Right. Keep things close and see what happens at the end of the game, right? And that's kind of what we saw in the preseason and and obviously you wanna see more from the offense, but we have to also remember um you know no matter what or who i guess is the easier way to say uh who the coaching is there's always ups and downs or there's always slow starts you know so you go back you go back to 2019 and and you know the first the first four games of the kingsbury era offensively weren't weren't great it wasn't really i mean i know they scored that 27 in the first game to tie with detroit but after that it was 17 20, 10. you know and then they then they get to playing cincinnati and atlanta and some teams that weren't quite as good and you know they put up 26 34 they put up you know 27 against the the giants and and you see that and meanwhile obviously the defense was just kind of bad that year and, and that was understandable and you kind of saw it coming and and Whatever, but then they took that leap—not uh, you know—not a huge leap—but it just was different in year two. Now all of a sudden, you're averaging 25 points per game early in the season, right? And and defensively, and so it's not—it's not a surprise, or it shouldn't be a surprise, especially in the preseason, like we said, without three of the main cogs out there, that it's going to be slow. And if the defense can put up an effort like that results are not going to be that good. Let's just be completely honest. Like they're not going to look that good um defensively maybe against the the commander skins or whatever they are now but uh you know <laughs> not against not against good teams, not against, you know, these teams in in games 2 and and, and 3 and 4 um but if they're able to, you know, at least give the offense a chance, that's what you want to see. And so that's why it was – I just – I thought it was a real positive even before the ending.
0: Yeah, I, it was – there were so many things. Now, the defense was better than advertised early. They made plays. I mean, there was – and that's the thing – for me I thought I, I've always believed that with the coaching scheme wise that and the type of players that they got that as the season progressed that this this defense would be competitive. Um I, I don't I don't want to, to bet too much on the defense, especially against a Broncos team that had a, a horrific offense a year ago. Uh, well, and
1: and they're in the same boat, even though they have Russell had Russell Wilson and most of their offensive right. firepower. They were bad still... last
0: year, and and <laughs> you and I were talking before the show, it was like what was
1: Peyton doing? What was Sean Payton doing in that game? Well, and and they're still learning a new system too. So, I mean, I don't agree with it, but I kind of, I don't, I shouldn't even say I understood. I don't agree with it. But you saw it, and and that's the thing is like you look at it from this perspective, um, you know, a guy like um, Russell Wilson, right? He played. Um, sorry, I'm looking for the number here. I just want to make sure I get it right. He played twenty snaps. Twenty snaps. The Cardinals starters on defense, five um yeah that's that is a baffling baffling juxtaposition and again goes back to what we talked about right like we don't want to overstate anything about this game um you know we don't want anybody to be like oh you know the guys said it was an unbelievable game and you know but there was some impressive parts to it and especially when you look at how things went um, on defense like like you said, like when when they were competent on defense uh, going into the second quarter before we saw really anything in terms of of scoring from the Broncos, that was yeah, I mean they, they was...
0: overcome the turnovers. so they, they granted field goal defense of it
1: <laughs> right <laughs> but Brent, but the point was, was awful
0: <laughs> the the point was that after they had the turnover the defense, limited them to only a field goal. That that's those are the type of those are critical things in football. Like if you give the ball away, you have to be able to make plays to get the ball back or or, or hold them to three points and they ended up getting getting away without none. But then they did that a couple of times is that the defense made plays. You know, we, we saw a couple of nice things. Uh LJ Collier had the had the tip pass. Uh Vic Vic Dimakage later in the game on they defended that screen that boot so well because the running back had lots of lots lots of open field and Demakeji timed the 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 leap and batted down that pass perfectly and, and defended that perfectly in that sense but yeah it was just it was surprise they were surprisingly con- again just the preseason but with the narrative being all offseason of how bad the cardinals are going to be the fact that there was competency on both sides of the ball was hopeful.
1: And that's all you're looking for in year one, especially where you're being sold that this is the worst team in football by a lot of people. I mean, um, goodness, I cannot – I I can't remember the name right now. Um but they just dropped their you know prediction for the season and they had the the Cardinals at I think 2 and 15 or 3 and 14 uh picking first overall again um you know so that's the thing is like if they come out and they're competent and they're they're in games until Murray gets back and then with Murray if they're able to start producing a little better offensively like that's a really exciting thing and and you know again when you're talking about preseason you you look for positives and and i thought there were obviously the overarching positives of the win which is always nice but more importantly like you said uh defensively they looked dare we say good and and (laughs) offensively (laughs) Offensively, it wasn't the train wreck we were expecting.
0: Right. and Let's talk individuals. On the offensive side of the ball, was there anyone that stood out to you as, as either a surprise? So, now, for me, one of the players, and I mentioned this in the solo show that I did last week, one of the players I had my eye on was Yelda Froholt. And guess what? This That might end up being a a, a very underrated scouting move. You know, we, we talked about, like, after the hiring of Monte Austin Fort and kind of how they, with the Patriots, they were able to build offensive line, for the most part, with day two, day three-type prospects. Uh, Wasn't for all drafted by the Patriots in, like, the fourth round, I think? And, and and while he did have some, he had some rough patches last year, when they go out again and they don't, they don't sign another veteran, and he's had the job all off season, and then to see some of the plays that he, he absolutely, absolutely mauled. One of, one of the guys that follows me on Twitter uh, referred to as, as a choke slam. Zach Allen, a big, big, strong human being, and very disruptive, as, as we've seen in his in his career with the Cardinals. But choke slammed Zach Allen. We saw him on a screen pass get out to the second level and demolish a cornerback that that addition that we were both very hesitant about might actually be a very, might be a winning move if if that what we saw on friday
1: continues yeah and that's i mean obviously you're not expecting him to be you know one of the four best players on offense and in, in in a game in you know every game but if he's a guy that that can play well and not be the weak link that's i don't want to say just as important but it's one of the more important developments that we'll see of the offseason because that's where one of the questions lies is who's how is that interior going to look because it feels like it feels like right now we're pretty locked into dj humphreys um Will Hernandez and Paris Johnson. And, you know, we had questions about Froholt, and then I think there's still questions on that left guard position.
0: Um, I, I don't know, because th- ever since, like, the, the last week of OTAs, it's been Wilkinson there, period.
1: Yeah, but he did not play well. <laughs> um, he was probably the worst starting offensive lineman in the game.
0: And you uh, know what? If we've seen from his career, he is a capable lineman. As long right. as it's not bad, like like fans are legitimately scared about Dennis Daly playing. But if right. Dennis Daly is your sixth offensive lineman and jumbo tight end, hey, I think we'll feel good
1: but yeah so Froholt I thought looked you know excellent um you know from there it's just kind of it was kind of pick your poison you know obviously you had the great throw from uh David Blau at the end of the game I thought you know I thought Tyson Williams ran well I thought uh Amari Demarcato ran pretty well um I thought we saw flashes from Michael Wilson in the game of what he can do as, a, uh, as both a receiver and a run blocker, uh, which is, you know, probably going to be big in this offense, right? Yeah. Um, you know, all of those things stood out offensively. But I, I just want – I just think that, like, the most important thing was Froholt played well. And honestly, Pat elfine didn't play too poorly right behind him.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that, that wasn't that wasn't too bad. Uh, I I felt that the running game had plays to be made, but because they were, because it was Corey Clement and company, especially early in the game, that the plays weren't being made, and I think that running game would look better, obviously, with. Connor leading the way, and then other guys coming off the bench, rather than having Corey Clement be be the lead guy. Um, I I liked on the off offensive side of the ball. There was one particular play because you know everyone complained about the Rondell Moore usage with Cliff Kingsbury, and I get why. I get that that's that's a staple of of most offenses there, but to see him get used on. Kind of a a, a intermediate slant uh, route, and he got shoestrung. Otherwise, he goes to the house. So if he if they can enter, if they can do that a couple of times a game, yeah,
1: get get him a little more vertical.
0: Yes, yes, and, and not just and, and not just like running, you know, deep routes, just <laughs> running down the field. But to to give him a little bit of space, like the like this offense will have just a little bit of movement, uh, a little bit of cut, get get him just a little bit of leverage. But down the field, that that might unlock something. And the fact that the one play and he got shoestrung, and he was so upset when he <laughs> when he got shoestrung because he he saw the the field that he had in front of him. Um, but yeah, it was it was there was a lot to like. I I thought that. And and I when I saw the playing time at the end, I was like, "Holy cow!" The snap counts. Blake Whitehart, the undrafted uh, tight end, I think he recovered well because a couple earlier in the game, he he had a couple of uh, of drops, at least one drop, and but for him to to bounce back, he ended up leading the team in catches, uh, almost at the top. In, he had five catches for forty two yards, played the most out of literally any either team. I, I, they're giving him a long look, probably, to be their tight end four. Um, but then, just to see... You know, and, uh, David Blau has never played... I, I don't know about the preseason, but in his nine NFL games that he has played in the in, in the league, everyone has been a loss. He's 0-7 as a starter, and then the two other games he's played in, he came up in mop-up time in, in massive blowouts. And so... <laughs> it was almost funny to listen to him after the game in, in the locker room, but there's a reason why he's not used to being part of wins. It's never happened before.
1: Yeah, and so it's you know it was important and that's the thing is like you know we we kind of talked about it a little bit and, and beat around the bush a little bit. but um, that win matters in the grand scheme of things. Right, and that's something that we'll we'll discuss uh, after we talk about the defense. But like, just getting that mentality is going to be something that we have to have to see this organization get to and through. Right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well on the defensive side of the ball? Um, I I think we both mentioned L.J. Collier. Uh, Watkins had the had the block, but. Was there were there any player in particular that that caught your eye? I think we all saw some potential in Keytrell Clark. I d- I don't know.
1: Yeah, I felt like that's a too low hanging of fruit, right?
0: Right, like that that's the obvious one. Um, he was active. Obviously, the the one big play was the diving pass breakup that when he closed that that space that he had, but. Defensively, it was it was interesting to see because you you saw a little bit from Cameron Thomas get some pressure. You saw do, from.
1: Do we know what the injury that's nope. holding him out they right now? They don't tell is? us anything. It is, ridiculous. and they and they don't have to do a they don't have to do an injury report nope. right during not the until the regular
0: season because that's you know. Yeah,
1: because uh, just so people know, the only two people that aren't practicing right now that you know have been playing and practicing are uh, are Cam Thomas and. Jeff Driscoll
0: and Driscoll uh-huh. didn't even dress for the game, so and he's not yeah. making the team anyway. It doesn't matter, right? <laughs> he's QB five right. on the roster. <laughs> right. But it's, yeah. I thought, I thought, you know, for for what we need to see to to get just a little bit of of pop, Zavin Collins didn't look like we saw him progress and start to look like a pretty good off ball linebacker. He didn't look bad. He didn't look bad at all in on, on the edge in the limited amount of time he played.
1: No, and he looked like he was comfortable, and that's one of the conversations that we're continually going to have and something uh, that we're going to continually talk about is the comfort level of these players in, in their new job schemes, whatever. Um, you know, and so... Zaven, you know, you mentioned it off the top, Keisha Clark was probably like the standout guy uh just because he played, you know, 29 snaps. He he and he looked like a good cover corner and you're just like, "Oh, they need one of those." Um you know, Zaven got 7 snaps. I mean, LJ got 7 snaps. Like, we can't judge a whole lot, but what we saw was undoubtedly it was positive. positive
0: yes that that's the main thing it just was like the in those seven snaps with the starters on the field you're like oh they don't look bad
1: no and but i thought another guy that stood out and played well was was antonio hamilton um uh, you know he was in the game quite a bit he played 35 snaps which
0: i i want to talk gonna, I, about that i'm very confused about that
1: yeah i, I was going to ask you do you think that's a red flag or you...
0: let's let, we'll get to that a little bit I'm, I'm very good because guess what dudes listed is number one on the depth chart <laughs> that's the and that's one of those things you're like I don't understand that and, and, and then he he's played, played well. yeah he played pretty well he had that he had that really bad pass interference late in the game um which set up the basic you know Gannon didn't say it blouted they let them score yeah at the end of the game like that—that that was that—that that went unsaid until David Blau. David Blau said, "If he got to like, we need to let him score, so we can come back and try to do something." I was like, "Oh," because <laughs> that wasn't mentioned by anyone else. So that in the case that the Cardinals strategically said, after that pass interference at the end, like, yeah, they're going to let them score.
1: And then you know, I thought, I thought uh, played pretty well. Uh, You mentioned, you know, his his play on the on the rollout, Um, and and then from there it was, you know, guys flashed. We saw a little bit from Christian Matthew, Um, we saw a little bit from Isaiah Simmons, we saw a little bit from from uh, the the rookie, the the late round D tackle. I thought uh, had a couple nice nice plays, Oh, what well, Dante, Dante stills. stills. Yeah. You know, so like you saw a little bit from everybody. Right. And that's kind of the bigger, again, the bigger thing is like these guys getting comfortable in, in what they're being asked to do and showing some ability to make plays. Um, it was good to see, man. Like I was, I was again, I was pleasantly surprised at more than anything how fast and physical the defense looked. Like, they they looked like they were, they just looked ready to go.
0: Yeah, and I think that might be one of the best, and, and I think that is a product of a new team, and basically with new coaching staff, new scheme, because what we'd seen the previous couple of years with the Cardinals under Cliff Kingsbury, they, they knew what they were. Like they knew they were do what they were doing, and so they were just they were just trying to just trying to somehow make it through the preseason. Um, and the culture is different, and we, obviously, it's, but where they they had we, we we learned the five players that the Cardinals view as as too important not to play. Right, that would be James Conner, Hollywood, DJ. Kaiser and Buddha, And then you have a handful of other guys who are hurt. Zach Ertz was, was hurt, obviously. He's coming off PUP. Kyler's out. But of their healthy guys, of the healthy guys, you can see, okay, these five guys are too important to play in the preseason. But everyone else played some. And I think I love, and we talked about in the last show, um, how they how handled training cramp practices. It was a way to sort of avoid the notion of veteran days off because they would go intense and they would lighten up the next day. They would do a slower pace so that everyone's body was taken care of and yet you're still creating the culture of practice.
1: Yeah, and that's that's one of the things too and you know again we'll talk about it once we're kind of talking about how important the win was, but just how engaged everybody was late in the game, right? Like it's a culture thing that they're trying to put in and and you you know you're mentioning the culture of the coaching and, and guys buying in. But I think a lot of it comes down to and you and I've had this conversation off the air a, a dozen times. A lot of it comes down to, this is the most I've seen coaches teaching in a long time, like taking time to teach. I don't want to say fundamentals because that, that takes away from, but like the, the intricacies of positions and, and, you know the the details that go along with playing certain positions, and, and maybe no bigger example than you know what they're doing with Zavin, right? Like you you see it in practice, you see it on the videos, things like that. Like they're taking their time with him, and they're saying they're again, we come back to that word. They're trying to find that comfort level in him, and it just seems like instead of being like, hey, this is what you've done your whole life, and and this is what we want you to do. Like telling them, it's like, hey, let's show you exactly how we expect to be played. And then, we'll it, and then we'll do it. 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 And then we'll do it again. And then when you think you got it, we'll do it some more. <laughs> yes, and, yes. And and then it's like, okay, where where are we at? And so, you know, whether it's Isaiah playing safety, Zayvin playing the edge, LJ Collier, you know, like we said, like just looking like a guy that could start in the NFL. That was, that was a question mark. Let's be honest. Like <laughs> a guy that flamed out in a, uh, on a team that desperately needs, you know, defensive help up front and he comes here and you're thinking to yourself, well, oh, you know, uh, we we'll see something. what he's got. Yeah, right. It's, it's, it's and, a guy. And then, right. And then for him to just be competent, it's just such a, yeah, it's just, it was, it was good to see. and, and It was positive. Obviously, there were negatives, and there's negatives every game. Um, But there was more. Again, there wasn't a lot
0: to complain about. Honestly,
1: no. There, I thought there was just two guys on defense that. What's the word I'm looking for? Um, Maybe that we had expectations for that didn't look like we would probably have hoped and again it was the first game but i think it a lot of it came down to like also when they were on the field um you know it was it was, it was interesting and one of those guys actually played well in in um antonio hamilton but the other guy was Rashard lawrence
0: yeah yeah we'll, we'll get we'll get to the play rotation because that, that is intriguing as heck to me because we 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 thought That was a case of of the depth chart just being kind of whatever. With the defensive line, the depth chart followed exactly the playing rotation. Anyway, coming to next on the Rise of Sea Red podcast, the best of our Cardinals talk on the web. Let's move on and talk about the importance of the win. Like, Why why did it matter in the preseason even? That's coming to next on the Rise of Sea Red. We're back on the Rise of Sea Red podcast, the best of our Cardinals talk on the web. The Cardinals had not won a game at home since October 30th, and they looked pretty miserable. Twenty twenty
1: one, by the way, twenty
0: twenty one. Yikes. That's so bad. So bad. Um yeah. And so it's been forever. Forever they've won a they'd won a game at home. And to do it in a preseason game, it's a preseason game. But to do it in front of your home crowd in the first game with the new coaching staff, you know what? Jonathan Gannon was preaching comp- compete, compete, compete. We want to win. We want to compete. And obviously, you're, you're not throwing your starters out there late in the game, but but you preach competition. And so you've got the quote-unquote scrubs, camp bodies out there playing. You're still having them play to win, trying that, that that game matters, that the final score matters, that the performance that they have matters. And I did exactly that. And and here's the thing. This is, I think, the, exactly the sort of thing that you Build on even if it's, it's just the preseason. But when you have a coach that, pr- that, that prides on trust the process, the results will take care of themselves. Compete, 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 compete. Winning behaviors, winning behaviors, champion behaviors. And to have that pay off in preseason game one, that I think just, even though it doesn't mean anything in the standings, I think it does create a a bit of a cache of trust. And, and just so if there is adversity, they've seen the results once at least. And as long as they see, as you see some results or you see close games or, or even a win that every once in a while that, that you don't expect, every time that happens when the coaching staff is preaching this, it reinforces it rather than, because in, in, Steve Wilkes preached pretty much the same thing but had no results. And so it rang hollow.
1: Yeah. And, you know, it's one of those situations too, where you're not preaching. You're not preaching things that are out of, out of line. You're you're preaching like, Hey, like you said, trust the process. Hey, you know, buy into the, the details matter. Um, and those things are important and, you know, it's one of the conversations we've had and, you know, fair or not, we've gotten more of a behind the scenes peak of, of the cliff Kingsbury era than probably any coach we've, we've ever seen uh, between hard knocks. And now that, that Johnny Johnny Manziel uh, documentary on Netflix and, you know, Cliff was just one of those guys that expected guys to to be on it themselves. And this is a conversation you and I have had before about how the game has changed so much. And, you know, you have the tight end university and the pass rush collective it and all the wide receivers that do workouts, you know, and things like that. And, and all of these things it, are now almost self-reliant like if you want to if you want to get really good you have to go out and find that time and that that effort on your own and that even kind of creeps into practice right like hey we got to install we don't have time to go over the details we don't have time to go over the minutia of things and and Gannon and and his staff thus far seem to have gone the opposite direction with that right they're like hey let's peel back or pull back on the oh we gotta we gotta get things installed and say hey we can go real basic but we have to do it really well and then we can add more onto your plate like once once we're able to get more we will or you guys will be able to handle more we'll give you more and that's just A different mentality right it's just a different way of going about it and and like you said the wins are become what's important because they have to buy into that that oh they're they're doing this and they're doing it for me and it's working look you know and like i said i think one of the coolest biggest things that we saw was just that everybody seemed engaged at the end You had Paris Johnson, you had Kyler Murray running out on the field, right? Like,
0: everybody was engaged.
1: So it mattered from 1 to 90, as opposed to, like you're saying, like, a lot of times when the starters are done, they're checked out, they're done. Um, And and quite frankly, a lot of them are done before they get started, right? Like, they're like, eh, whatever. Like, it's just preseason game. I don't care. But, like, to see them engaged, to see them – wanting to cheer on their team and be a part of it. And, and, um, you know, when, when DeMarcado got in to see him, to see them lose their minds and, and be so happy, it, it was just, it was a cool, a really cool, um, situation. And I thought it, you know, I thought it played out well. And, and it's a good beginning that, like you said, I don't know if it matters or not, but I think for this moment, it's important.
0: I, I believe it is, absolutely. And the end result, the, the win doesn't matter. The way they won does matter because it shows execution of things that they've practiced. It shows offensive competency. It shows the ability to manage the clock. Um, it was just, it was, it was just good to see. And and I will just say, the locker room, the last half season at least, was so heavy. The team felt it was it was a light again. There was music playing, and granted, it's just a preseason, but you could hear cheers. Um, you could hear music. Guys were upbeat. It was something we hadn't felt in the locker room at, at State Farm Stadium. In the locker room, in forever. So and and maybe that's something that can continue. Now, um, do I expect this team to be angry when they lose? Probably. Um, that's what happens when you create a, a, a kind of a culture of competition. They're not. They're not going to react well to losing. Um, but. But I think I think that the seeds are there and like like I've said, like I love the approach Gannon takes because it reminds it takes the everything that's good about Jim Harbaugh, but ignores the part where he's abrasive, annoying, and kind of an a-hole. Like like kid people can't can't stand him. Players seem to be drawn to Gannon and his approach because I think they 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 recognize the the genuinity, the just how genuine his approach for caring for players. He coaches them hard. He has expectations. Like these are the expectations. But he also shows that it's about he like he keeps saying it. Coaches serve players. It is our job to take care of them and to do like we, we want to establish this culture but that players know that that he also cares. As much as that matters for football players they, they they like the setup Kyler Murray is gonna thrive in this because of the the structure and expectations they say Kyler we expect you to do this he's like I'm gonna do it as opposed to it seemed like before Kyler you know save us and I think he grew tired of that like he he rises to the occasion of of high expectations in coaching I think
1: right and that's you know one of the things that it's been fun to watch because this is a team that desperately needed leadership and you know when they had Bruce Arians they had Arians and then you know Palmer I think Palmer was a a leader in the sense of a veteran right like he wasn't he wasn't the fiery take charge type. And you know, obviously Larry Fitzgerald was never that way, but they, no,
0: what Palmer was, was like, yeah, go with me guys.
1: Yeah. He was the calming, like I'll, I'll show you guys how we're going to get there type, but he was never like the, you know, Tom Brady, rah, rah, you know, even the Patrick Mahomes type, like he was, he was, uh, I mean, I'm trying to even think of who he's close to right now, but yeah, <laughs> And so, when you had a coach that wasn't that way, and you had a quarterback that's not that way, and and you had, you know, an enigmatic wide receiver who's insanely talented but kind of a loner, right? You know, and then they <laughs> and, and and it's why it made so much sense that when J.J. Watt got here, it really galvanized everybody because it was like everybody was following that lead and it also makes sense why when walk got hurt things fell apart right like obviously there's more to it than just that but like nobody stepped in to fill that void or fill that role and you know on those on those arians teams you had a calais campbell you know you had um even like a tire johnson
0: like rashad yeah. johnson gerard powers patrick peterson had, had already kind of taking that role like that secondary was that secondary in terms of leaders they were that was such a good group
1: right and i just don't think people understand like you know even people talk about like a a matthew versus baker and and how similar they can be as, as stylistically playing but like matthew is a is a hyped up leader type whereas as buddha is very much a go about your business, like Buddha's like, I'm going to set the tone and you guys need to follow me. And that's like, it's just, they just didn't have that voice and they still don't necessarily from a player perspective, but they have it in a, in the head coach right now. And he, in the way he's emboldening his coaching staff and his, you know, and so that again, like you said, that's just going to build this trust and, and, and hopefully, hopefully galvanize the team as a whole and then you start getting leadership in the hey guys this works let's all follow you know and let, let's all be in together
0: coming up next in the rise of c red podcast Mr. cardinals talk on the web let's talk about a a, a variety of things zach Ertz, roster moods play rotations that's coming in next on rise of c red we're back on the rise of c red podcast Mr. cardinals talk on the web let's let's kind of talk about the the playing rotations some observation we saw that you brought up Antonio Hamilton, and it, this is in. This is a very interesting thing to me because he's listed number one of on the depth chart. It's important to note that his twenty twenty one three salary is one hundred percent guaranteed. Jonathan Gannon was glowing about what he said about Hamilton, but he only played like five special team snaps, and he played a gob ton of time with the third stringers. I don't know what to think of that. Honestly, I like normally. If you are playing that much late and you're not a starter, that usually means
1: yeah, you're you're somehow a bubble guy.
0: Yes, and I, I will say the way they have the the way the roster's looking, the cornerback room, because you know that you got you've got Marco uh, Keitrell, you've got Christian Matthew. The, you you assume he's a lock for the roster. But then you've got Antonio Hamilton, completely guaranteed salary. You've got Garrett Williams, who has, hasn't come off NFI, and we don't know if he will. You've got Chris saying, Boyd, who is a special teams guy, plays a ton on special teams and, and played a lot on special teams, and he is guaranteed, I think, $400,000 of his salary this year too. So it comes, the, how thing how that roster builds out is super interesting. I don't know if, I, if, if Hamilton is in danger but I, I I can't, I'm not sure what to think about that.
1: Yeah, I, I'm with you because it was just such an odd usage, right? Something we just don't, we didn't expect to see. And for him to end up playing so much when it wasn't, I don't want to say it wasn't necessary, because obviously that's, that's, you know, disrespectful to the coaches. But, like, it just was, I guess, surprising that he was one of the guys that was spending so much time on the field in the preseason. Like, it just, it was just, it was completely unexpected. I don't want to say shocking, but, like, you know, it just wasn't something. It was one of those things that you're
0: like, huh. I don't know what to think of that.
1: Yeah. And it was just, I mean, it was just odd because like you said, he was in the game at the end and for a veteran, that typically means what you're on the (laughs) bubble or like, they want to see something out of you, but like, I don't know. So it'll be interesting to see how this all unfolds because I think as of right now, it's, it's up in the air if it matters. But I think right now you're also looking at it and going, "All right, like make this make sense to me, please."
0: <laughs> Another thing that that I was super intrigued by playing wise was the defensive line rotation because I wasn't sh- like I wasn't sure whether I believed the the depth chart on the defensive line because it had L.J. Collier, Lucky Foto, and Jonathan Ledbetter. And Rashard Lawrence was listed as the number three nose tackle. Now, we, the way they played, their playing rotation, matched it perfectly. But the, the one thing I noticed is this. I would guess probably almost all Cardinals fans that felt uh, of the of the defensive lineman that returned this year. So you've got Ledbetter, you've got Rashard Lawrence, that you've got Leckie too that if you had to pick one who probably wasn't going to make the team was Leckie Fautou. And right now it looks he's firmly established as their starting nose tackle. I find it interesting that it, I think this is a quiet move that, the, that, the, that this coaching staff has done because they moved Isaiah Simmons, they moved Savin Collins. And when, when Leckie, I will say this, I loved like, Leckie Foto was one of my favorite draft picks because I saw potential, and I think the Cardinals did too. And he literally only plays nose tackles at, at Utah. But has athleticism suggests that he could do something more and then he was used like never nose tackle and his play was very underwhelming if he's only a nose tackle and he becomes a starter that's kind of fun although to me it is a surprise and because and, and if all if we had to look at the, the those guys Ledbetter Foote and Lawrence we figured that Richard Lawrence would probably be the one most likely to be the favorite to play a lot or to be the the lock on the roster. And right now, Foto and Ledbetter are starters right now.
1: Yeah, and, and, you know, it's going to be interesting how they scheme and develop this entire um, defensive line, right? Because right now we just have no idea what their plans are or how they're going to go about it but as you said as of right now they have got about it in the way that they said they would on their their depth chart and so it's it's just really going to be something to watch because we just yeah i don't know man it's it's weird To see it, um, it's weird to see them continue to um, make adjustments on it. So, you know, it'll be, it'll just be interesting, I guess, is the only way we can really put it, right, to see what they do and, and how they go about things.
0: Zach Ertz back from pup. Um, I'm gonna say we won't see him. Period till week one.
1: I, uh, I I was gonna ask you that. Like, there's no way.
0: There's no because one they're slow rolling him in. So there's no way he plays this week, right? There's no way he would play no matter what in the Vikings game because that's preseason game three. And I
1: and, and they don't have to make cuts. Remember that, like, right? They'd get the all ninety guys still.
0: And so. I think he'll probably get some work in their joint practices, but I think the the plan is maybe they are they're just the goal is week one. They're, they've basically got four weeks of practice before week one hits, and they're going to use that to build him up, strengthen him, and, and be ready for that. Then he won't need any preseason reps. But that said, that especially with one one of the things that was notable in the offense how involved the tight ends and the running backs are in the passing game. And having Zach Ertz back will be, even if he he doesn't have to be explosive Philadelphia Eagles guy, but if he's a reliable target, because you know he's a reliable target, that means, you know, five, six, seven yards, like even if he's doing basic routes, you are moving the sticks um with your tight ends and and that should open things up down the field maybe not necessarily while will Colt McCoy's a quarterback they're going to dink and dunk cuz his arm is is you know doesn't have a whole bunch left but at least they, there's there's the potential there with Kyler Murray when he gets back
1: right and there's a little bit more that they can do you know running the ball and things of that nature um uh, with the quarterback obviously and so it'll just be yeah it'll be uh interesting to see how it goes Um, again it's just we just don't really have any idea what this is going to look like Um, but like you said the fact that they've got guys now um, coming back and we'll see how this plays itself out um, how how they end up getting into these reps and things like that that'll all be something to to watch moving forward uh, because right now it's been you know easy because well a lot of the main guys are not out there right <laughs> and, and so do you think we're going to see connor or or those guys you talked about at all this season? I, I doubt
0: it i doubt it i think now i let, think let, those let me, five in particular Maybe and Hollywood now, a little bit. Maybe and, Hollywood and, a little bit.
1: And now we add Ertz to that mix, right? Yeah. So but so let me ask you this. Is that do you think more about them deciding that they don't um they don't want to take any chances or do you think if Kyler was healthy that they would that they would have played these guys?
0: You know, that's a good point. Because I maybe, maybe they would have. I actually think that it might have something more to do with the guys behind them in the rotation. James Conner, you know, is gonna make the roster, they yeah, trust him.
1: And there's really nothing behind him.
0: <laughs> it's like, who like who's the guy? And they didn't even have Keontae Ingram in Keonta Ingram, so it was Corey Clement, Tyson Williams, Amari DiMicato, Uh show something. Like DJ Humphreys not playing was okay, let's give Kelvin Beecham time at left tackle. Um and that that did, honestly, that was kinda telling that when DJ was out, they didn't put Josh Jones at left tackle. it was Kelvin Beecham. Um I don't know if it was to showcase him. Um because I've always felt that the the, the battle there's going to there's a very notable battle between him and Josh Jones. I don't know if you can have both on the roster with behind DJ and, and Paris Johnson, but right. That was notable, um, and then you go obviously Buddha. This would this is a way to make sure that you get Isaiah more snaps, um, at safety, and plus you've got a you you need to figure out who your fourth safety is, um.
1: Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. What what did you make of the? Is that Sean Tucker a different Sean Tucker signing?
0: Sean Chandler,
1: Chandler. He, sorry.
0: Guess yeah. what? I think for sure he's a camp body. He's he suspended. Okay. He's he's suspended for the first two two games of the year. Why in the world would they sign him now? To because especially you've got. So I I'm not sure. It was very interesting because that fourth safety spot. If they keep four safeties, you've got three guys who who legitimately could do that. You've got Chachary. Chachary um, was with the Eagles last year, played a lot of special teams. Juju Hughes was the first. So Juju ended up being the first safety in the game after Jalen left. And then... You add the fact he played special teams, and then you've got Javante Moffitt as well. That fourth safety spot super intriguing. The addition of Sean Chandler, to me, tells me somebody got hurt and that okay. they're trying to get through the games, I think. Cause I, okay. I, I don't know why you would sign a guy right now who's going to be suspended for the first two weeks.
1: Yeah, I was just curious because, like you said, we know there's a battle for the fourth position, but... Is it going to be a guy that can contribute mostly on specials, or is it going to be a guy like Chaucer that's gotten reps in games, especially in the Gannon and Rallis defense, right? Yeah. So so it'll be interesting because, yeah, it's just, I mean, this this whole dynamic is, is playing out differently than what we've seen before. And, and a lot of that comes from the unknown, obviously, as, as you said early in this whole thing thing but and and figuring everything out and it's fun to see it unfold it it actually makes it fun because it feels so different than and it wasn't that long ago that kingsbury and and you know and then wilkes like it just feels so different from both of those camps to now this and seeing where they are and what what's how this is how they're going about things
0: absolutely um no Kaiser White gave Chris Barnes and, and Josh Woods ample time to
1: to and, play. And, and I was those those are two of the guys I was slightly disappointed with. I just didn't see they, 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 didn't, there was
0: nothing notable about what they did, but
1: But let's also say this. It's clear that White is the catalyst or the guy that's gonna yeah. make that that linebacking corpse go. So in that instance, you kind of have to look at it and go, okay, I mean, it's not, you don't want to say okay in the sense of like, it doesn't matter, but more okay in the sense of it's, it's like, okay, we have to take that with a grain of salt because the guy that's going to, the guy they're expecting to be the playmaker wasn't around.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And but yeah, it's it's just interesting to see how that playing time goes. They they did add Sean Chandler. We talked about. I I can't imagine he's more than a camp body. They released Stevie Scott. To me, because they had signed Stevie Scott last week. To me, his release tells me Keontae's back, right? Okay. Yeah, that yeah, that's, that's what that's it really says to me sense. because they they didn't use him in the game. They only use Clement, Ty Williams, and um, Demarcado. To me, that says, okay, Keontae's back, and so we're going to see Keontae probably starting. Well, I, and we'll, we'll kind of see, because Keontae's ahead of Clement on the depth chart. Let's see if he gets more work with the ones on Saturday, um, just to kind of see where that at, because at, at least if Ingram shows a little something, and the it, it, we don't know, we, we just don't have a gauge on that because they didn't go out and get a veteran running back, which means you think that they trust one of the guys on the roster to be behind Connor, and if there's anyone that you trust, wouldn't you probably think that's Ingram instead of Clement, who's been a mostly special teams guy?
1: Yeah, he's been mostly a third down back and a special teams guy, so yeah, you'd want to see Ingram...
0: And good. then, you know, DeMarcado, like he was, like he wasn't even the guy at TCU, but
1: he's a, he is 1000% a practice squad guy. Well,
0: like, and, and, you know, he's a potential, potential fourth back if they keep four running backs because what he does well is like intangibly type things. Like you, you saw him with the two point conversion, but, but I talking to my buddy Eric Sorensen, um, who is a big TCU guy. Uh, DeMarcado does things like pass pickup, so pass pro and things like that, so things that you want to see. He didn't he can return kicks. He never did it really at, at TCU. But he's a guy to kind of watch. Like I'm very intrigued like are they going to keep three on the roster, three running backs on the roster? Or are they going to keep four? You'd think they'd probably keep four, but you can also ride with three and and practice squad elevate your way to <laughs> to those moves later on.
1: Exactly, and that's I think that's just what the plan is with him. So we'll see how it kind of plays out. But I I thought Tyson Williams did look good too, though.
0: Yeah, that, absolutely. He was. I had him I, I'm on my 53-man roster projection. It's like after how he did, I bumped him into the, to the final roster for that spot. But he's got a little bit, and, and we'll say – there's a there is a little history of of BYU guys coming in and you know being successful. We see it. We saw it from was it what was the the Green Bay slash Detroit guy, Jamal Williams. Jamal Williams. Yeah, BYU guy. You've got now Tyler Algier. Puka Nakua is making a little bit of noise in Los Angeles, the receiver. And Ty Williams, he's he, you know he's bounced around a little bit. He hasn't really done much, but as a as a role player type guy it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me at all um that said uh anything they they technically still have a roster move uh roster spot available where where do you think that's going to be or or are they simply managing bodies at this point you think
1: yeah i think they're just managing bodies right now um you know i think I think they have ideas of of what they want to do, but I think at the same time it's one of those situations where you kind of let the rosters play to you, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah, Jeff Driscoll, guess what? I think they are simply waiting for him to be healthy to cut because he didn't dress for the game. He didn't dress for practice. So I don't know if he's hurt, but the the fact that – because why in the world do you need four quarterbacks on the roster uh, aside from Kyler um, that – Especially when they're especially when they're given as much playing time to Clayton
1: Toon as they are. Right, exactly. Somebody asked me the other day if I thought David Blau had a chance to be the backup, and I said, I just don't see it. I
0: like, see a potential where he can make the roster.
1: Right. If, and that if, is
0: if Kyler starts the season on PUP.
1: Right, which is Blau and, makes
0: he, the roster as QB three that way because that new emergency quarterback you know rule that they have that cannot be a practice squad elevation. he has got to be a, he's got to be burning a roster spot so blau is a guy you could have on as player 53 to be on the roster basically as your emergency QB unless and I don't think they would do that um maybe he'd be the active backup one game. Or, or game or two, and you you use you know you let Clayton be the emergency QB three because you know Young were off that sort of thing. You might trust Blau a little bit more in a game scenario uh, if you had to come in for for Colt McCoy. But yeah, I I basically think that the, you know Jeff Driscoll is just uh, just a guy right now. David Blau, I I don't think he, I they are they seem firmly committed to Clayton Tune, and so. David Blau at this point is, is auditioning for other teams' practice squad or in the case if Kyler is not taken off POP before the regular season that he can be on the roster for a handful of weeks, for about four weeks.
1: Right, and that's the plan that you would have, have to assume right now. But, you know, overall I was, I was pleasantly surprised and then happy. I think that's the best way to to put it. Like you, I think everybody was like, "Oh, this is this was good," um. But and then it, you know, and then it ended up in a win. You're like, "Oh, that was
0: nice. Like
1: that was nice to see." And-
0: it was absolutely, good, especially because you know what, preseason games can be terrible to watch especially if they if they get a, if you get behind if there's like more of a than a one score difference, the fourth quarter, they are unwatchable football. Oh, and yeah. this was exciting because you you had a rally. Um, you had the the touchdown by the by the Broncos, then you had the game win and drive but the, the Cardinals it made the end of a preseason game watchable and if let's be honest some people like to watch the preseason very few people watch the fourth quarter of the preseason games right Right. we are the crazy people that do that
1: the crazy people that have to yeah
0: (laughs) absolutely yes
1: and so for us i think that's why we can say it was such a positive because you just look at it and you're like oh this was fun yep
0: and with that we'll go ahead and wrap Wrap up this edition of the Rise Up Sea red podcast, Mr. Connell's Talk of the Web. Um, I will do a solo show, so we're we'll, I'll just push off talking about the next game. Um, in a couple of days, you'll get that probably Thursday night, Friday morning. Uh, and then we'll be back next week to talk about the game. That's Seth Cox. I'm Jess Root. This is Episode 451. Thanks for listening, as always. Thanks for listening to the latest edition of the Rise Up Sea red podcast. Listen to previous episodes and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, Audioboom, or many other podcast platforms so shows are delivered directly to your mobile device. Please give the show a five-star rating and always support the sponsors who support the show. We'll be back soon for the best hour of Cardinals Talk on the web. Rise up, Red Sea, be Red Sea Red, and of course, rise up, sea red.